Here we go, here we go. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon us sinners. Amen. Vicar, have you got the echo box on here? This is crazy today. It's completely different. What's going on here? Why does it sound so weird, Vic? I don't know. It's my, like my DJ voice. Now I'm going to just go to the side. There, that's a little better. If I don't wear it right, on, that's a little better. How about that? Is that okay? I just want to thank the vicar for his diligent service. This is the last one, so I appreciate very much all you've done for us. The vicar gets up and gets the food for you every early morning and cleans up afterward and does all the things in between, so he's a very, very good boy. Um, that said, he probably will end up in Zap, North Dakota, because somebody has to. When I was in the seminary, every three years, somebody would go to Zap, North Dakota, and the, in the midst of this service, you know, all these very staid Lutherans would, you know, sigh and occasionally clap. That poor boy off to zap. So uh, hopefully, you know, we'll see what happens. Okay, there's a ton of things to do because this is it. Because you need to sleep in next Saturday and adjust your work schedules and, you know, go in early and get overtime and be really anxious about your lives. I know you do. So here's a couple of questions which I haven't read yet. Um, why do we bow in church? What signifies the time and the bow? Good. So um, you remember? So many of these things that we do are used to teach. So I talked to somebody, a visitor this week, who said, why do you do this with that smoke? And I said, that is perfect. A triple-double. Yeah. What do you mean? I said, a triple-double. Live things get a triple-double. One, two, three. Anything alive gets a triple-double. So what does it mean? It means like 10 things at once. Let my prayers rise before you as incense. The, 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 the prayers of the saints make heaven smell good. Revelation 5, 8 and 8, 5, I think. Or um, the altar is alive. It's Jesus. The cross is alive. It's Jesus. You're alive. You're saints. Um, the people serving at the altar are alive. And most of all, most alive of all things is the vicar very carefully at the elevation. This is the body, gives it a triple-double. He says to you, it's another way of saying to you, it's alive. So everything happens uh, for a reason. Now, you can overdo it, you know. Uh, you can get it where it's more important. You know, Peter was trying to get me to replace the bells at the Eucharist with a ratchet on Monday, Thursday, which would just grate on you. You know, it's the thing that would go, seems to be like death itself, you know? I said, now what's the history? Why would we do that? What would people think? Did we tell them about it? Are we just trying to jar them or surprise them or will this really be meaningful, right? So here's the rule. The rule is you can do all sorts of things. If they get too big, you have to trim them back. And if they get too small, you have to extol them, do them more often. So when I came here, People didn't kneel for the supper, and they didn't kneel for confession. And then I said, well, wouldn't it be good to kneel? And then they said, are you Catholic? What's the matter with you? And I said, in your own life, this is a simple diagnostic question, do you kneel too much or too little? Really simple question. If you kneel too much, so much that you're going to your orthopedic, you should probably kneel less. And if you don't kneel enough, you should probably kneel more. It's a little, and bowing is the same way. So there's scripture behind it, right? At the name of Jesus, says the scripture, every knee shall bow in heaven, 
on earth and under the earth. At the name of Jesus, Jesus, the angels just bowed, the church just bowed, you made the demons in, heaven, in hell bow at the name of Jesus. Now, keep going. Um, the name of Jesus, as you learned way back at the beginning, gives you Jesus himself. This will also be Bible study tomorrow. How did the temple become the temple? It's tomorrow's, you know, Sunday. So when we say Jesus, we probably should do what the scriptures say to do, which is bow. Now there's a range of ways to bow because, you know, the church said a long history and the French, they like to do things different. They have a different word for everything, as Steve Martin once said, right? So thanks, Chrisman. You're the only one who knows your humor history. Appreciate that very much. So, uh, you know, so, you know, if you'll go to churches, you can get a partial bow. You can get a bow at 90 degrees or you can get the same thing, a genuflection. Now, my knees are bad enough that I can't do it without something to hold on to. Nelson likes to show off in church. He genuflects like this. I'm young, I'm strong, my knees still work. Look at the old man, he has to hold on to the altar. Okay, there's every chance that at some point I'm gonna genuflect and not be able to get back up. You'll know what to do, okay? Send the altar boys to help me. I always love to see the old bishops who not only have a crook, but they have an altar boy on each elbow. It's like, will the old man make it just one more step? I kind of root for him as he goes toward the altar, right? So uh, I was in St. Mark's in Venice once they were training altar boys, no lie, and there was a deacon, and you could tell that the, these altar boys had their fingers under the deacon's elbow to teach them how to walk. He would turn, and they were clearly there to learn how to walk so they could walk by themselves next time. Anyway, so why do we do it? Well, we do it the same reason you, um, in another era, stood up when your grandmother walked into the room, right? To show her proper respect, right? It's a way of saying, we love you. And so, do you have to do it? No, you don't have to do anything. You can, you know, go home and have to tofu for the next month. You don't have to have a steak. It's okay, do what you want. But, you know, Sometimes it's better to do things than not to do them. But the, the, ru the rubric is, if you need more, have more. If it gets too big, then stop. And we trim it back. But if you ask, what's our problem? Do we respect God too much or too little? I'm probably on the too little side. But you can also, you know, overdo it. And this is, this is sort of, this is the fun part of a pastoral care and a congregational engagement. How are we gonna do this? What are we gonna do? How's this gonna work, right? So, okay. This is a very nice question. Uh, but really start with the notion that at, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven. It's such a beautiful passage. In heaven, on earth, and even under the earth. The name of Jesus controls the universe, right? Uh, what's the best way to get the sacrament? Do you just put out your hands or do you just look up? So, you know, <laughs> we're a secret society. So we have special signs, right? So if you're gluten-free, we do have gluten-free hosts. I am well aware that um, the Diocese of New Jersey has said that a gluten-free host is not a holy supper. And there's probably a papal stamp behind that somewhere. I'm also well aware, and you should be, that just to make you feel better, the gluten-free hosts go in with the regular hosts. And so they do, in fact, contain a microscopic touch of Jesus, a gluten, and that'll be enough to save you. So don't, don't worry about it. There's very, I mean, I, some people are like, I'm like, really, would one molecule, 
molecule of gluten kill you? Yes, it would. I'm like, oh, she's okay. Well, but you know, probably not. And then I always want to say, I'd like to try. But um, <laughs> you want a gluten-free host, you do this. Now, under things that should be trimmed back, you know, we read last week about the Holy Supper, and Jesus did not say, and when you get those 173 little plastic individual cups that all the Protestants have had since World War I to show that they're not Germans, take them and say, it doesn't say that, right? You share one cup, as the scriptures say, so um, you become one body. So one of the great blessings of COVID was that we got rid of the individual cups. If I'd had a voters meeting and said, individual cups no more, then would, um, you know, it'd have been 97 to 95 and everybody would have been mad. But a worldwide pandemic, just what we needed to get rid of the individual cups. Now, I haven't gone, oh, somebody asked if they could buy our individual cup stands. I have to say, I didn't quite have the nerve to sell the old equipment. But give it away? Yeah, I could do that. So, um, if you want, uh, if you're, um, nervous of giving germs or taking germs, I'll just kind of put it generally, um, then there's an option. So it's called intinction, right? So if you, and you know, we have to, if you put your hands on the sign of the cross, as Christus says, if you make a little manger for Jesus, it's a beautiful way of talking about it. And sometimes you have a church father who says, if you um, make a cross, the one on which Jesus was crucified. So if you put your hands on the sign of the cross, the pastor will intinct a host in a chalice from which nobody drinks. Now, normally, intinction is a difficult thing because people are sloppy. There's a full chalice. People start putting their hands in it, and you kind of go, what's the point, right? But that chalice only has about a half inch of wine. In fact, it has, on its best days, half a host. It's half a host deep, which means the pastor's fingers can be on the top, can expose the body to the bread or to expose the body to the blood of Christ not get your fingers in it and give it to you so it's about as close as we can get now Lutherans this is really so interesting I oh, mean I didn't want to tell you any of this because I have so much to tell you Lutherans there's a vote somewhere I actually have it because I called the head of uh, an old classmate of mine as head of what's called the um, CTCR, renders theological opinions for the Missouri Senate. I said, hey, intention, what about that? He said, oh, we have this thing and I'll send it to you. It was so interesting because at the same convention where the Missouri Senate said, go ahead and use those individual cups, there's just a little, and there's all this reasoning about why it's okay. There's this little footnote that says, but you can't use intention. I'm like, really? That was just added in by a committee because, because here's the thing, people will say, and this is important, people will say, Jesus said, take drink. Lo, I will say to you, what does the word drink mean? As in, listen for it. And the soldiers dipped a sponge into a bucket of sour wine and held it up on a stick. And from the cross, Jesus drank it. What does it mean to drink? It means to receive a liquid and swallow it down. So anyway, um, I don't have a bad conscience about intinction, you know. Um, maybe some people do, and we have to be careful with it, but you know, if I went by what everybody's bad conscience was, we wouldn't do anything, we would just stay home. 
So I can try to explain to you why I do what I do. Um, so if you want an intincted host, so it's, it'll be a host that only the pastor has touched, and he won't have got his fingers in the chalice, and nobody drinks from that chalice, make the sign of the cross. Otherwise, if you want it in your hand, you Vatican two types, put your hand out like this and a host will appear. I was gonna say magically, but I really went mystically or miraculously. The body of Jesus will be put on your body. And then when the chalice comes, or you can just open your mouth and the pastor will put it in. Now, here's the thing. I think we talked about this, but I just want to say it to you again. The pastor will hold the host in front of your eyes and say an objective fact, the body of Christ. And then he waits for you to confirm that and that you really want to take delivery. So I don't do it to adults because I don't want to shame you. But what should happen is I hold up the host, the body of Christ, you should say amen, which is the church way of saying yes. You know, amen is truly, truly, verily, verily, right? It's true, it's true. Now for children, if you have children, I actually will sometimes prompt your kid, you know, you get this standoff. So I hold it up and I say, the body of Christ. And they look up, as John Dunn says, like little lambs who would be fed. And then they look up and then I don't put it in their mouth. Then they stare at me and I stay at them and they stare at me and they're like, what just happened here? And then I lean over and say, say amen. To which they always obediently say amen. Why? Because they need to learn to confess. This was in the text last week. If you confess, it's the body of Christ. So objective fact, the body of Christ, to which you say amen, which is Yes, that's the body of Christ. Give it to me, you jamoke. I've got sins that need to be destroyed. When I come to you, what I'm thinking about is, I'm thinking to myself, this is like a little tiny bomb that I'm going to drop into you and blow up all your sins. <laughs> that's actually what I'm thinking when I give it to you. Okay? I don't know what you're thinking, but that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, you know, it's like a little tiny jackhammer on those sins that you keep doing over and over again. That's what I'm thinking about, in addition to Jesus and the body and the blood and all the rest, okay? So you can open your hand. And now here's the other thing. Don't do this. This is a good habit this morning. Thanks for asking me. Like, instead of doing this, that means you don't want to do this or you don't want to do this. The worst is when I hold it out like this and somebody else comes at me like this. It's like... The chances for a mistake are increasing exponentially. If this was a nuclear bomb, you know, it would, the, cover, the color would be yellow and a lot of people would be scrambling around. But, you know, this doesn't work. The, the chances of a screw-up are just... If you take it in your hand, do this. It'll stick, I promise you. Jesus wants to be on your tongue. Just open your mouth and it'll stick. Same with this. This is always where Jesus gets dropped on his head. And you'll notice when you drop Jesus on his head, I step away quickly because you're on your own now. You <laughs> drop Jesus on your head. <laughs> so, um, or you can just open your mouth. Last thing, you see how complicated this is to be saved. You know, camel through the eye of a needle. Um, you, can, you don't need to touch the chalice. But if you come on Easter morning and you listen to the first question about bowing, 
So you give a full bow while you're kneeling because you came and you heard about kneeling. So now you're kneeling and bowing and you have your big Easter hat on so that when I see you, your mouth looks something like this, okay? <laughs> and then you expect me to hit the mouth of your child. So, oh, by the way, you're not going to drink like a normal person because when you have a beer, you're like this. But when you come to the chalice, you're like this. Do you realize plumber's rule? Water runs downhill, okay? So you actually need to open your mouth and let your head go back just a touch. People who don't, it's like this, and there's the standoff of their noses in the chalice and the blood of Jesus at the bottom. And it's not going to go anywhere until somebody gives ground, okay? So go ahead and drink like a normal person. And if you like, put your hand around the pastor's hands and help out. Do a little something around here for your salvation. Don't make me do all the work. What, Jesus and I were the only ones who had to work? No, let's go. Let's, oh, hold on, wait. I lapsed into my Catholic lecture. There's, I, sorry, that's, where I, that's the other church. Okay, you got it? Everybody good now? All right, so good. That was a very nice question. Thank you so much. Um, let's see. Why do we start out the service being forgiven as a called and ordained servant, then have communion later? How many sins occurred in the last 30 minutes? Oh, this is clearly somebody who didn't grow up in the church. Uh, how many sins? Too many than I can count, right? So two things. One is, you're always a sinner, original sin. Or even better, you sin with every good work. Everything you do is tainted. So you couldn't get enough forgiveness. That's part of it. But the other thing is, you know, you'll often find the churches where you're attacked the hardest. Um, let me distinguish some things for you. So Nelson or Bynes will be particularly genius in their sermon. And what will happen is you begin to think, huh, that's how that works. Oh, I can think of how it worked over there. And this is why it was the way it was with my father. And my brother and this, and I wish I wouldn't do it. And then you come back you have no idea what he's talking about because four minutes have gone by. That's actually completely fine. If, if a sermon or a Bible reading takes you somewhere where you say, ah, this is how it works for me, that's why the liturgy repeats itself because when you wake back up, you'll know right where we are. It's all fine. But you know, if you're thinking about, ah, I gave up those Bears tickets for this and... Uh, you know, I, why are they always talking about money? And, oh, geez, I serve with a committee on that guy. He's a bum. Hey, let me just tell you, there's a lot to be forgiven by the time we get to the Holy Supper. So uh, this is a very nice question. Uh, yeah, there's an awful lot of forgiveness going on, more than you could even imagine. In fact, about every 60 seconds, look at this is forgiveness. The Lord be with you. That's a forgiveness. Forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who, that's a forgiveness. Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy, that's forgiveness, right? Forgiveness is coming at you 100 miles an hour from nine different directions because you're a bunch of damn sinners just like us. I mean, if you go to the website, there's a little asterisk where you sign up on the, fill that form out at the bottom before you click, it says, are you human? Yes. Are you a damn sinner? Yes, we have that on the website. Just click it, agree, just play along. If we don't, we should get a computer guy who could put that on for us. I did have what, what, it doesn't say, are you a robot? Now it says, human, with a question mark? Human? I'm like, 
hmm, I should think about this for a little while. Hmm, what does it really mean to be human? Oh, well, you know. All right, how's that? Any questions about anything else? Yes, please. How do we know when we go home? <laughs> hey, way to poke the bear. Nice job. So here's my question for you. How do you know when to go to the Target store? When my wife tells me. <laughs> so if your wife tells you to go to the Holy Supper, you should go. Or if Jesus says, do this over and over again, you should go. Now here's the thing. We extend the Target store analogy. We we're going to extend the Target store analogy. How do you know when to go? I don't know. How do you know if you're in the shaving cream aisle and you need to move over to the hydrogen peroxide? Well, you kind of look where the lady coming at you, and then there's a kid being dragged by his dad, and then there's always an older lady on one of those carts who thinks she's in NASCAR. What do you do? You simply move toward the peroxide. In the same way, you're young, you're reasonable, you're strong, your children are well-behaved, and your wife loves you. You simply say to yourself, now looks like a good time. Um, the other thing that was also often really hard for me, I'll just be honest with you, I know if you've ever been ushered, you know, um, I would say to somebody, they would say, I'm in grave sin, I'm like, don't come to the Holy Supper, then the usher would come to them and go like this, and then they wouldn't go, and the usher would go, I've actually had things where the usher grabbed the person by the hand, and begins to leave, and you kind of go, the great, I was meant to know their name for Mass, they do not usher people up. Somehow the Catholics in Paris are so sophisticated they can walk 80 feet by themselves and back without bumping into it. I want us to be that good, okay? Just go when you want. In fact, tomorrow, I don't know where you sit yet because you're so new, but here's what you should do tomorrow just for fun. Be the first one. Grab your kids. You should run up there, elbow people out of the way, and then when people say, what the hell are you doing? You say, Bruzek said in new members class. Just do that, okay? Because what you should do is um, people should begin to filter up once the pastor has communed himself. So here's the thing. During the, there's a couple things. I mean, we don't, there's so many things. Like, you don't move, you move tradition, you move during music. That's your key. So if you have to go out for something, don't walk back in in the middle of the gospel reading. It goes with bowing and respecting. In the same way, if you have to go out, don't come back in in the middle of the verba. Just hold on. There'll, there'll be mu music tells you when to move. Music covers motion, okay? So um, basically what happens is when the pastor communes himself and Peter begins to chant, that's the all clear sign. Right? It's like when you're playing golf on Sunday morning and they blow that thing. The thunderstorm is over, you can go back out and putt on the third green, right? Yeah, he shouldn't have nodded to that. That was too incriminating. <laughs> so um, you basically, and, and be brave. What the worst is when I get there and there's nobody there, I'm like, what? Somebody, you're the same guy who wrote the 30-minute question? Does everybody think there's no sins been committed since the last thing? So, you know. so be brave, come up, and just relax. Nobody's going to bump into anybody. Nobody, I mean, if you want me to do your thinking for, for you, let me do it for you on how to spend the budget or whether to, you know, buy the pastor's Lamborghinis. Let me think about the, follow me there. Don't worry about going to the altar. If I'm, yeah, yeah. Thank you. It's easier for some people to join here than others. Okay, what else have you got? Anything else? Ah, now what? 
all right, here, to catch up, I'm going to trust you. I know this probably won't work. I've said it to my wife. I've said it to my kids. I've said it to my congregation. Has it ever worked before? No. But here, ready? I'm going to make him get ready. Trust falls. Ready? I'm going to cut. No, just kidding. <laughs> Don't worry. Most people have that experience of me when they meet me as a pastor. I come toward them and they're like, oh, no. Okay. <laughs> Here's what I'm going to have you do on your own, which is at some point, I want you to open this catechism up to, ah, just do it here. I can't trust you. Go to page 28. See, my conscience is burdened if I don't do this. So you remember last week from looking at the text, from looking at the text, grab a catechism, go to page 28. From looking at the text, I tried to convince you that what's on your tongue. So the simple definition is whatever was pierced by nails. If a nail went through it, the Holy Spirit has run to Calvary 2,000 years ago and 6,000 miles away and pinched a little piece of Jesus' flesh and put it onto your tongue. How does he do that? Huh. I happen to have an answer for you. Pick up, I gave you tons of sheets in advance. Pick up this one that on one side says a few, some basic stuff on the Lord's Supper, but on the other side there's this thing that says How? So Jesus says, this is my body, so you know what it is, and he puts it on your tongue, eat and drink, so you know where it is, but people are always asking, how, do you, how does he do that? That's the one question Jesus has no interest in answering. And so you can see that people already answered. So it's the one, on one side it says some very basic data, but you want the other side. Look, some people came to Jesus. This is when he talked about my bread will come down from heaven if you don't eat my, or my body comes down from heaven. If you don't, I'm the bread from heaven if you don't eat my body, you know. So just look at this. Jesus said, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh. That sounds vaguely familiar, which I will give in this beautiful phrase for the life of the world, right? Why did Jesus come for the life of the world? Then the Jews began to argue sharply with themselves and said, how? And of course, Jesus won't answer. He doesn't, have to, he doesn't have to answer you. And if he answered you, you wouldn't understand. Yes, you can make up ideas. You can think about it. Transubstantiation, consubstantiation, signum and res signata. Yeah, there's zillions of ways you can describe this. But how he does it remains a miracle and a mystery. How can he do this? And Jesus says, I've been telling you the truth, and since you don't believe me, forget about it. So how is the what? When you say, how does it happen? Jesus has no interest in explaining that to you, okay? But he does tell you what it is, and that's in the catechism. So, you know, I need to do this just otherwise I'll feel bad. What is it? This is on page 28. It's the true body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, under bread and wine. No, how are you going to talk about this? In, with, under, beside, on top of, woven, you know, knitted, stitched, cross-stitched? You know, how are you going to, there's no way to talk about this. So just, you know, just kind of, we're doing our best here. It is the true body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in, with, and under. So, and that means, Luther had a phrase, where he would, he just, in the great confession of the Lord's Supper, 1528, he had a phrase, he would just put 
bread-body and wine-blood. It's a beautiful phrase. Again, you just say what it is. What is that? It's bread-body, it's wine-blood. Super, right? You can taste it, of course, it's bread. But he put his body in there. How did he do that? Hey, I told you the truth. Just everybody relax. How does he do it? He does it when his words come to the bread and the wine. What is it? It's his body and blood. Why does he do it? Because you're a bunch of damn sinners. How does he do it? Save something for heaven. Okay? So there you go. What is it? Where is it written? And we did that last week. What's the benefit? And we're going to talk about that a little bit more today. What's the benefit? These words given and shed for you, for you, for the forgiveness of sins. Show us that the sacrament forgives sins, gives life and salvation through these words, through these elements. Where there is forgiveness of sins, there's life and salvation. Really, how can that happen just by eating and drinking? It's not just eating and drinking like you from a food cart in New York City. No, it's not just the eating and drinking, but the words written here. So Jesus, why, is it, why does it happen? Because Jesus says it happens. This is the difference between Jesus and everybody else. Jesus speaks realities. Everybody else needs to give proof. When Jesus says, let there be light, there's light. And when Jesus says, rise from the dead, people rise from the dead. And when Jesus says to a blind man, you can see now, he can see it. When he says to a leper, you're healed, suddenly his skin is smooth. And when he says, this is my body, it's his body. And when he says, this is my blood. When he says something, it actually happens. It happens over and over and over and over and over again. It's no different than when he touches the leper or raises Lazarus or baptizes you or gives you the body and blood. All these are miracles and they're all the same. You may not think it's such a big deal because you've seen it so often. But tomorrow at the Verba, that's as big a miracle as raising the dead. Because frankly, you're dead. And you're going to get raised. And so that's why you bow and kneel and watch the incense go up and have some fun with your friends. And don't need to be ushered. That's right in the back under question <laughs> 365 on the Lord's Supper. You can check it later, okay? So then, who receives the sacrament worthily? We did this last week. Fasting is good, so you're in a season of fasting. Bodily preparation is good. Get some sleep, pay attention, be here on time, try not to rush around, do your best even if your kids are crazy. Those are okay, but this person is truly worthy and well prepared, who has faith, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. The body of Christ, amen, that's a person well prepared. The blood of Christ, Amen. That's a person well prepared, right? And the other preparation is you need to be ready to turn loose of your sins. So if you come to confession with me, you know, almost every time, unless you've been to confession a zillion times, I always explain the rules. The rules are you're on one side of the rail and I'm on the other side of the rail and I look suspiciously like that guy with a broom and a bucket at the end of any parade who's kind of cleaning things up. <laughs> so your job is to kneel down and just puke it all out over the rail and then walk away like nothing happened. That's your job. The only sins that'll kill you is the ones you take home. So when you come to confession, even tomorrow, when you confess, just 
leave your sins. If you take them away, you're a thief. You've broken the seventh commandment. Your sins belong to Jesus. So don't take them back. Jesus takes away your sins. Don't take them back. The only way they can hurt you is if you take them back. Don't take them back. They belong to us now. We know what to do with them, right? So when you kneel down tomorrow at the Eucharist, dump it all over the rail, and then walk away. Somebody else will clean it up, okay? That's what's going on. Still good? Now, there's a couple of things, you know, people have said this more and less fun. So in rapid fire order, I'm gonna give you a bunch of things. First, this'll be like when you give your kid that play school thing where you have to put the triangle in one place and the circle in another, that's what we're gonna do now. So you're gonna look for the one that has three with the really long one on it, okay? In the middle from Flannery O'Connor who was sassier than I am. I'll start to read to you. I know you find that. Ready? The one with three has a big long one. If you don't have one, that means you just got at a table. I tried to put six or seven on every table, so hopefully, do you have the long one, the long one, the long one? We got the long one? All right, here we go, in the middle. I was once, five or six years ago, taken by some friends to have dinner with Mary McCarthy and her husband, Mr. Broadwater. She wrote a book, A Charmed Life, reviewed in time. You can see what high-level stuff this is. She departed the church at the age of 15 and is a big intellectual. We went at eight, and at one, I hadn't opened my mouth once, there being nothing for me to say in such company to say. The people who were with me, Robert Lowell and his wife, Elizabeth Hardwick, this is how people in New York City talk apparently. Having me there was like having a dog present who had been trained to say a few words but overcome with inadequacy had forgotten them. Well, toward morning, the conversation turned on the Eucharist, which I, being a Catholic, was obviously supposed to defend. Mrs. Broadwater said, of course she is a big intellectual, so that would make her a big theologian too. Mrs. Broadwater said that when she was a child and received the host, she thought of it as the Holy Ghost. You can see that her, her pastor didn't make her say amen. She thought of it as the Holy Ghost, he being the most portable person of the Trinity. Now she thought of it as a symbol and implied that it was a pretty good one. I then said in a very shaky voice, well, if it's a symbol, to hell with it. That is perfect. There is no symbol in the entire world that will keep you out of hell. The only thing that's going to keep you out of hell is the body and blood of Jesus Christ touched to you. Symbols don't save. Wine doesn't save. Bread doesn't save. Your good works don't save. Your imagination doesn't save. Whatever you think doesn't save. The only thing that's going to save you is the body and blood of Jesus. That was all the defense I was capable of, but I realize now that this is all I will ever be able to say about it outside of a story, except that it is the center of existence for me. All the rest of life is expendable. Secretly, you know, that's where I'm trying to move you. Where you think that the Eucharist, the world revolves around our altar, it does not revolve around the sun. Some of you, now I give you this other one. I'm not going to look at it because I got too many other fun things to do. But this one that has all these little scatter shot ones, 
This is to show you for a whole bunch of different topics that we're saying what the church has always said, right? So that, I mean, I can give you these kind of as you go. You have the one that's got about eight of them on it. looks like this. So it says, you know, the first one says, when we eat the body and blood, we're filled with God. So you're joined to Christ. Or the one next to it says, a man suffering from a wound needs a remedy. So if you're sick, you call the pastor to bring you what? Not penicillin. Those are the guys who went to doctor school. Your pastor went to pastor school. He brings you the Holy Supper. Now, if you don't think that this heals you, then you don't really think that Jesus healed the leper or called Lazarus out either. When Jesus touches you, it's the very same way that he touched everybody else. If you're dying, get the body and blood. If you're sick, get the body and blood. It always rankles us when we call people to make a hospital to call and they say, we're too sick to see you. Of course, what I think in my mind is I would like to choke you to death with a host intincted in the blood of Jesus. That's what I think to myself. But then I think about lawsuits and liability and you wouldn't have a place to go to church. And so I throw up my arms and have something to, you know, confess 22 minutes into the service because I apparently forgot what happened at the beginning. So, you know, if you're sick, call your pastor. He'll bring you the Holy Supper. Even, you know, the daily Eucharist, just look below, Ambrose Milan. Daily bread is taken as a remedy for daily infirmity. It doesn't say you have Quaker oats for your heart. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about, as Luther says, we daily sin much and indeed deserve nothing but punishment. The daily Eucharist is not an innovation. It's what people do, right? So um, there you go. You can have a bit of all those. Now, occasionally people will say, Given the Eucharist to all those children is not very Lutheran. To which then I always say, oh, contraire, my friend, your problem is you've never read Luther. So get this one now. It looks like this. So it has, again, one, two, three, but a little longer, right? But it's the one in the middle. People say, why do you give it to kids? And then the answer is, Lutherans always gave it to kids. What sort of Lutherans would not... Give it to kids. Well, the same kind of Lutherans that thought it was really pious to have the sacrament twice a year. You kind of go, really? Do you think when Jesus said do it over and over and over again, he meant twice a year? Roughly the same frequency with which you kiss your wife? No. <laughs> kiss your wife every day. She loves you, or at least tries to in spite of you. Okay, so you can see why this class has to end. You apparently touched a nerve. Bugenhagen, who was Luther's pastor. This is important. So Luther had a pastor, and he did what his pastor said, and he went to church. Bugenhagen, who was Luther's pastor, at, uh, now this is always great, you know Luther went to St. Mary's Lutheran Church, and they never changed the name. Huh. Have you ever heard of St. Mary's Lutheran Church? And if you have not, are you really Lutheran? Because Luther's church was St. Mary's Lutheran Church. You can still visit there today. Uh, in his introduction to this, Enchiridion examines children. Okay, da, 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 da. Look at the next one. The children in the 16th century Denmark. So now you've got a little history lesson. So there's Lutherans, and then Lutheranism spreads out from Germany. And you know, Denmark is only like a 
you know, a long driver and a short wedge from Germany. So it's not that far, right? So you, you know, it kind of spreads out into Scandinavia and all around. And very early, so you know, Luther dies in 1546, Augsburg Confession, 1530. So 16th century, we're still in the 1500s. So we're talking, you know, while the first generation of Lutherans are still alive. And basically the gist of this is they used to write manuals uh, for how, pa we have them too, how pastors should proceed. But it was a little more ambiguous because, you know, you have all these guys and they're not very well trained because they've been kicked out of the Catholic Church and it's new and Luther's, and, so what are we doing? How are we? So they would write these things and they would tell guys, this is how you run a church, okay? So this is from the, this is how you run a church book from Luther's time. The children in Denmark were often admitted to communion when they were only six or seven years old. So, the earliest Lutheran, six or seven, Luther's famous quote, a child of six knows what the church is. It's where God gathers his people and gives out his gifts. Or as I gave you last week, you have to discern the body and blood. Cool, discerno, the word means you can tell this from that. So if you hold up a piece of Wonder Bread in one hand, and you hold up a host in the other, and you say to a kid, what is this? And they say, Wonder Bread. And you say, what is this? They say, Jesus. It's time for them to go to the Holy Supper because they just discernoed. They can tell the difference. And Lutherans always knew this. The only problem was, is when Lutherans got to be great big intellectuals, right? Like I told you about my poor grandmother. Only kid in her confirmation class on a hot, Iowa afternoon, she had to sit in front of the entire congregation and answer all the questions in the back of the catechism by herself in German before she could have the Holy Supper. If that's not a way to kill attendance, I do not know what is. Why don't kids come to church? There's a reason. Okay, so in Sweden, right, uh, Quenstedt says, he's a famous Lutheran theologian, it seems that even eight and nine, even eight and nine-year-olds were among the communicants. So Denmark, six and seven, and then a Sweden, eight and nine. But now here's the bad news. By the end of the 17th century, so the late 1600s in German Lutheranism, they'd raised the age to 15 or 16. And you kind of go, what the heck? You know, by the time they're 15 or 16, they're watching porn on the internet and they have a drug dealer and everybody in their class is having sex. But you couldn't possibly give them the body and blood of Christ because they couldn't possibly understand that. You should think about the Holy Supper as, an, as a vaccination. Measles, mumps, rubella, and Jesus. And the reason is because Lutherans got to be great big intellectuals. The Enlightenment is coming and everything changed from not trusting fiducia from the heart, the body of Christ, amen, that's trust, to scientia, knowing. And so faith became knowing a lot of facts. You know, 458 questions on an Iowa afternoon when it's 90 degrees and you have to say them in German. That would prove you know something. Talk about putting up barriers to the faith. Holy cow. So if you want your kid to come to the Eucharist here, get with Pastor Nelson. There's a summer class toward it, and it's a decision between the child, the parents, and the pastor. When they all say yes, then it's time to go. Earlier is better. Get to the problem before it occurs, okay? There you go. You still okay? 
because you can sense that I have things I want to tell you. All right, now, um, huh. Even this morning, I wasn't sure how to do this. So I will now say, as close to 10 as I can, I'm going to give you a quick tour of the sanctuary if you want. I don't want to impose upon your time, but I do want to show you secret stuff. But um, if you have to go right at 10, completely cool. And I'll try to get there first. So again, skipping ahead, there's something that you have in your hand called a brief description of the revised sanctuary design. Okay, here's the thing. I wrote this in 08. It didn't all happen. Like it'll say, you know, there's a sanctus, sanctus, sanctus on the steps. Yeah, some things didn't happen because you can only do so much with a couple of million bucks. But there are other fun things. So for example, just to start, do you have this one that says column medallions? You've probably never raised your eyes to look, but tomorrow, if it, no, it won't be, it's buy-in, so there's no way that sermon's gonna be boring. Next time I preach, take your time, look up at the top of the columns, and you will see at the top of the columns, not matching, but different medallions. And they look like this, they're painted in gold. Why are they there? Well, the quatrefoils, they're the same ones that are in Ely or Notre Dame. Um, the next one is from the Basilica of St. Mark, my favorite church in the whole world, except maybe Notre Dame in Paris, but you know that was a nod of the architect to me. He threw me a bone there. One from Santa Maria del Fiore in Florence. One from the Cathedral of St. Vitus in Prague, right, Reformation place. And the last one, of course, from Wittenberg. Why are they there? Because this is what Lutherans have always said. Hey, you're not the true church. We're the true church. Because we're so good, no. Look what we did to our kids and take the Eucharist away. We're dumb. But we say what the church has always said. Jesus, the fathers, the mothers, the early church, the Renaissance, the modern church. We are one holy Catholic apostolic. And you can see it because we display our allegiance with some of the great cathedrals in the world. There's all these little things going on where you go, what's that? There's nothing there that doesn't mean something. Everything there, this is true about everything at St. John, there's an explanation for everything. There is nothing done here that's capricious. Every last thing has an explanation. It just takes a while to, to lean into them. Okay, last thing, and then we're gonna go for a tour. You should have a map, right? And then you should also have this scribbly gospel lesson about the road to Emmaus that explains the map. What kind of people? You know, I think this only proves we, we thanked the vicar too soon. Tell you what. If you don't, have, anybody got some extra medallion ones? Favor this poor table over here. Maps, we got, anybody need anything? Y'all good? Has everybody got a map? This is, now you'll see that this is the earliest iteration. Um, it still has the Eucharistic tower on it instead of the recess. This is before we decided to cut the I-beam in half. What do you need, friend? We got, what do you need? What do you need? We got one. The medallions. Are there any medallion ones around? Anybody got one? Did I forget to hand them out? No, the medallion ones. The medallions? Did you not get them? 
Hey, Vic. It's clearly my mistake because I did this. There's a, every chance I could have left them upstairs, but you can quickly run 60 copies of that, pull them off side to side, staple in the corner. You'll, have, you'll be done by the time I'm done. I'm sorry. Uh, all right, here's the punchline. Ready? I'll give you the punchline first. When you come to church tomorrow, it is the road to Emmaus. Every time you come to church, it's the road to Emmaus. Sanctuaries are designed to tell you you are walking with Jesus. All right, so text in one hand, map in the other, right? Remember that when we came here, there were movable chairs, a stage in the front, and a dunk tank for baptisms behind some sliding doors. And one of my enduring memories, we decided that we would demo it ourselves. And, of course, you're going like, I don't really have a choice because you don't have enough money to hire somebody, but, you know, people are up on, you know, in lifts and scaffoldings. One of my favorite memories of the entire church is Carol Hydorn in a hard hat with a sledgehammer knocking down the wall through which you walk every morning to go to church. She's amazing with a sledgehammer. That's why she got to be president of the congregation. Do you remember that day? I remember it like yesterday. I just thought to myself, I hope all these holes are going in the right place. <laughs> and they were, they were perfect. I mean, it was amazing. Nobody ever got hurt. And the job was done, you know, with the kind of love that you can't hire. It was so like, so we had then a blank box. And I remember the electrician coming in and saying, this is great. Every congregation should have a big gymnasium. I was like, man, we have got a channel. Okay, so map, directions, right? Here we go. Okay, now watch. This is Easter evening. Jesus has risen from the dead. That very same day, two of them were going. So now here's the thing. You're going somewhere. You're out of the parking lot and you're going somewhere. They were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Now, you'll notice Jesus always makes the first move. For all the times you think, you've got to find Jesus, he's standing right here and he's already found you. He's just waiting for you to kind of open your eyes or maybe have a little self-awareness. But you don't find Jesus, Jesus finds you. You don't believe in Jesus, Jesus believes in you. The Pope's preacher from the sermons to the Pope for Good Friday. God doesn't make you suffer. You make God suffer. So, they were with each other talking about the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near. Jesus always makes the first move. Burning bush, creation, you know, coming out of the wilderness. Jesus makes the first move and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now he's got his flesh back, but they can't tell who he is, which gives you a little clue about what you'll be like in the resurrection. You'll be spectacular with the same body and same blood. And yet, when you're made holy, when this sort of courses through you, 
right? The way, you know, it coursed through Jesus' body when the Shroud of Turin got made, like that, you know. Something will be different about you. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other? And they stood still, looking sad, which is how many of you come. Then one of them named Cleopas. Now, this is very interesting because you remember that Jesus has an uncle named Clopas. You'll hear his name in the uh, Holy Week stuff. So there's every possibility this is an alternate spelling of Jesus. He's bumping into his uncle, and his uncle doesn't recognize him. So that tells you something about the resurrection, right? Familiar and yet unfamiliar, earthly and yet heavenly. There's something going on here. So Clopas answers him, what are you, a dumbbell? Are you the only, and this is the word for alien. Are you some kind of alien? And right there, Jesus could have, you know, done the whole thing by saying, as a matter of fact, I am. You know, one person, two natures. Yeah, that's what I am. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know all the things that have happened in these days? So you've come and you're sad and you're on the way and you don't know exactly how to go and yet you hit those doors and Jesus meets you there and you start to walk forward. Are you the only one who doesn't know? What things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was mighty in deed and word. So you should expect to see deed and word if Jesus stays with you, as in word and sacrament, right? And um, he was mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him, condemned him to death, crucified him. But it's the third day since these things happened. And look, he didn't keep his word. You kind of think to yourself, so next time you think, hey, Jesus isn't good for it, you're like, hey, it's not midnight yet, okay? or the sun's not down in this case. Everybody relax. So you show up and try to relax. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. This is the LWML. The women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they didn't find his body, they came back saying that he had seen a vision, that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive, you know. You only believe because somebody else told you. Very little bit of your experience is direct. You believe people. So, you know, you should believe women who see Jesus. You should believe people in the church whose lives have turned around. You should believe people who bend to the body and blood. You should believe people who can fast for Lent. You should believe them. Some of those who are with us, when we went to see the tomb, found it was just as the women said, trust but verify but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophet has spoken. Now this is exactly you on Sunday. Or you wouldn't come lost, confused, suffering, afraid, anxious. You know, why is that? Because we're slow of heart. So what's the first thing we're going to do? We're going to kneel down and say, whew, I am slow of heart. That's what we do. Was it not necessary that Jesus should suffer these things? Are you going to get saved some other way? You got a better idea? You know, as in the last 300 years of the church where you can, uh, you know, get saved without a Jesus who dies on the cross. And beginning with Moses and the prophets, so now we're on the map. We came through the door. We're moving toward the altar. The, around you, there are people who are sadness, who've lost hope, who need redemption. There's people who are foolish. There's also angels and wonderful things to know, and people who are alive. And of course, what happens? Jesus starts with what? 
the Law and the Prophets. You have an Old Testament reading. So Jesus starts with the Law and the Prophets and interpreted them in all the scriptures, readings and the sermon. That's what's meant to have. The pastor's not supposed to say what he thinks is good to say. He's supposed to say what Jesus says. So you have a lectern and you have a pulpit. Listen to the Law and the Prophets. This is what the Law and the Prophets mean. And of course, there, the Gospel is read and the four heads on the lectern, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We'll see that in a minute if you want. So they drew near to the village where they were going. So now you've had it. Jesus has walked with you. He knows you're suffered. He knows um, you're sad. He's forgiven your sins. He's talked to you. And now, as you go a little bit farther, closer to the altar, closer to the altar, he acted as if he was going farther. A little bit of a head fake, better than LeBron. Does the step back and says strongly, stay with us, for it is evening and the day is now spent. Don't leave me which is exactly what you'll say to Jesus. Oh, this is good, don't leave me. So Jesus finds a way not to leave you, ever. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Move during the music, don't move during the verba. People are trying to have their eyes open. It'd be terrible if you stepped in front of them just at the moment when things were supposed to go boop and they understand things. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us? So beauty, friendship, forgiveness, community, value, safety, all the things that you hope for, especially mercy, are here and if they're done well, and if you'll model them and if we can deliver them, this can be a place where people can come and their hearts will burn within them. This is different than any place I've ever been before, right? This is, what, this is what's supposed to happen on Sunday morning. Didn't our hearts burn within us? And he opened to us the scriptures. And they went out that same hour, they returned to Jerusalem, they found the 11 who were with them and they said, hey, Jesus kept his word before the third day is over. He's risen from the dead, and he appeared to Simon. Then they said what had happened, and how he was known to them how? In the Holy Supper, in the breaking of the bread. So what needs to happen then is, um, you know, once a week you get together for the breaking of the bread. Did you hand these out, Vic? Did you hand these out to people? Thank you, friend. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's all of it, but that's just the first pass. So here's the thing, if you have to go, I know some of you have to go to work, I know you have to go, I know, I know. Here's the thing, if you have to go to work, I will give you seriously a rain check, I'll do this for you individually or for a couple of you if you have to go, just all you have to do is ask me, okay, I'll do it anytime, it's fun. Between services or pick something, after service, whatever. I don't want to keep you after, but I do want to show you some fun stuff because it's fun and it'll make your heart burn within you and it's great. So. Um, if you're going to join, fill out the data. If you're coming from another church, call them and just say, hey, send a transfer to St. John, if you're in a Missouri Center church. Everybody else, you know, we bundle you up like dogs going to the, going to the pound, you know. Don't worry, we'll chip you and inoculate you and get you to a good home. It's all going to be fine, okay? Don't worry about a thing. It's going to be great. All right, so let's pray. And then let's wander downstairs if you want. Vic, if you could beat the crowd. I turned the lights on, but there'll always be somebody 
who said, what kind of knucklehead left the lights on? That would be me. Uh, you know, and house rules. You can't bring your coffee into the sanctuary. It's a sanctuary, sancto holy space. We can always sort the visitors because they bring their Starbucks. We don't say anything to them except we say, you see that red dot on your head? Yeah, there's a reason for that, okay? We're coming for you. Sorry. Okay, so, Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.